Hello and welcome to The Good Robot Andes, um, season 9 episode something. It's a special episode, so we don't care what episode it is. Well, and we haven't checked, so... It might be like 4, <laughs> 4A. What we should say is we're in the same room, listener. We're in the same place. If, it, if this sounds awful, it's because of our because shonky recording setup. Shall I say for the first time since 2017? Right, yes. we're in the same room. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully this episode will be better than that one. Yes, the, the now infamous <laughs> Hacksaw Ridge episode, which ended up to be, I think, uh, one of our most downloaded episodes. <laughs> why? I don't know why. <laughs> the other one that was quite well downloaded was the Facebook, why you should ditch Facebook one. Yeah, that was down, yeah. That's for good reason. That's probably because people are interested in that topic, whereas surely... Two drunk people talking about a movie. I mean, Hacksaw Ridge, maybe Hacksaw Ridge was interesting to some people? Or maybe. We didn't say anything interesting interesting about it. I think I did. Yeah, no, you couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're here because we've just been to see... Dune. At the IMAX. Dune Part 1. The biggest screen in Britain. At the actual IMAX at Waterloo, which yes. was really fun. It's really nice to go. Yeah. Have a special occasion. Yeah. Um, so, we watched it. We went to the 12 o'clock screening today. Mm-hmm. And it's now late in the afternoon. We haven't drunk anything. You'll be relieved no. to hear. We haven't drunk anything. We haven't really talked about it that much. So, this is an opportunity for us to really yeah pour over it and decide what we think of it. So, we both came out saying... Wow, that was really good. Yeah. So we said that much. We we did say that much, but we haven't talked about anything. We tried, else. We tried not to do too yeah. much. Yeah. 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 Uh, my initial thoughts are that it's a really strong adaptation. Right. By the way, we're going to try and avoid spoilers. Is that yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. No spoilers. Yeah. So we're going to try. This is going to be relatively short, relatively non-spoiler-ish. Yeah. Obviously, because we're talking about our feelings about the characters that will slightly spoil it potentially but we yeah. won't give any plot spoilers if we can avoid it so I think a really strong adaptation but along with that comes a really good film right, 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 right. Um, so good ad- great ad- strong adaptation but also I think this is what Denis Villeneuve has been working up to okay for a few years now so yeah so I watched Blade Runner 2049 yep but that felt like it was on the road to this film, definitely. Yes, definitely, yeah. What else are you thinking of? Arrival. Right, right, right. Oh, God, Arrival, yeah. Yeah. I, was, I think I was just falling asleep through Arrival, so I kind of liked it, but I was also not concentrating enough. Okay. So you have to concentrate. You do, yeah. Yeah, you do need to pay attention in Arrival, because there's stuff happens that is wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, there's no wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff in Dune. So I think the main warning, if you're going to go and watch Dune, is... You're going to spend quite a lot of time with people looking earnestly into the middle distance. Yes. With very dramatic music slash drumming. Yeah. Slash Some you don't know whether it's music. Yeah, yeah. There are bagpipes. Um, quite a lot of the time you don't know whether it's music or whether something quite violent is happening that yep. you can't see. Yes. <laughs> um, or like some sandworms coming to eat you. But something. I really enjoyed all of those middle distance stairs, mainly because the cinematography in this is... Yeah. Jaw-droppingly good. Yeah, I really. I was a lot of the time. I was sitting there thinking, I'm really enjoying this very long shot with dramatic music, but surely the young people are just going to be bored. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe this isn't for them. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I thought. Um, so let, let's let's talk about who's involved in it. So this is this is directed by Denny Villeneuve. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard interviews, at least two interviews, where he's talked about. Oh, I read one in. Um, 
SFX magazine and possibly Total Film. We're just plugging a couple of magazines there from the same <laughs> publisher, um, where he talks about how since he'd been like 12 years old, he's been a Dune super fan. Right, okay. So okay. This is, to me, this is like the culmination of his... So that's a bit like... His um, dream, really, Lord of the Rings. make a movie of Dune. What's his name made Lord of the Rings? And that was the Peter sort of, Jackson. Yeah, that yeah. was like a similar thing, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah this is what you want to do. This is what you really want to do. Right. And it really does show... Right. In terms of the casting, let's talk about the casting. Okay. Okay. So we got Timothy Chalamet. Okay. That's Paul Atreides. Right. Okay. Paul Atreides, who does a really good job of being, uh, seeming vulnerable. Yeah. And weak, and then sort of growing as a person. Yeah. Yeah. Really. They, like he's carrying a lot for someone who looks quite young. They even make some fun of that at the beginning yeah. of the movie, when a character uh, called. Oh, Duncan Idaho, mm -hmm. who is played by Jay, the massive Jason Momoa, grabs his arm and says, "Oh, you've put on some muscle." And he says, "Really? No, you haven't." No. <laughs> Which well, I the first, was funny. The first shot of Paul is yeah. him getting out of bed without right. a top on, and he just looks skinny and yeah. young and weak, and it, like it, it he looks works. vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but he's surrounded by very capable men and women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so his father is played by Oscar Isaac, right? Um, who portrays a noble man who's maybe out of his depth. Right, but he's doing a good job of... Although he's... Yeah, with no spoilers, he sees what's coming, yeah. doesn't he? He understands what's being done. Yeah, yeah. And they realise they have no choice. Yeah. Um, so we won't... I mean, if you know the story of Dune, then you probably know what we're talking about, no. listener. Yeah. But I think he portrayed that kind of... Um, we have to do this. If we don't do this, it'll be even worse. Yeah. So they they're kind of aristocracy. So Paul is is like the heir. Yeah. And I was quite surprised that there's a sort of goody baddie. Like they're actually reasonably goodies. Those, yes, they those are. People. Yeah. And the other people are kind of baddies. And I was expecting it them to be baddies as well because they're the aristocracy too. But. So the others that we're talking about are the Hark the Harkonnens, mm -hmm. as they call them, mm -hmm. who were led by a very evil Stellan Skarsgård. Right. As Baron Harkonnen. Who's, who is, is he out of other things? Loads of things, Skarsgård. Right. Yeah. I, I can't even... You would have seen <laughs> him in something else. Right, right, right. Actually, most notably, probably for listener, Mum Mia and Mamma Mia 2. <laughs> right, okay. um, he's in both of those. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so he's in a, a lot of prosthetic. Yeah. Eight hours of prosthetics per day for oh, him. Man. So basically a whole working day to get into that suit and get made up. I mean, it looks amazing. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he is just thoroughly evil. Yeah. Thoroughly evil. And there's a lot of, like, classic things that are a bit of a cliche evil. Like, there's, like, slime There's a lot around of around and stuff. Yeah. You know, they're like... They look like trolls. Yeah, they do. Dave Bautista is in this. Yeah, who's awesome. He plays the Beast Raban, who is... Who is Baron Harkonnen's cousin? Right, oh, nephew. Nephew, sorry, yes, nephew. Um, and he is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Like we want more of him. We, we were saying there wasn't much. Not you were saying there wasn't enough. much of him. Yeah, but there should be more. I imagine in the next one. Um, other cast members. We've got Rebecca Ferguson as uh, Lady Jessica, who is um, Duke Leto Atreides' consort or mm. concubine. Yeah. So they're not married. But she's had a son by him, who is Paul, 
Yeah. Who is the heir? So, yes. so obviously being a concubine is enough to... And she is a member of the Bene Gesserit Motherhood. Yeah. And I would say stand-up Sisterhood. Sorry. I would say stand-up performance from her. I would, yeah. She is, she is amazing. So she gives good close-up emotion on a massive screen where you can basically see the pimples on someone's face and the freckles on people's faces yes. on that screen. We were observing the cinematography. She... Yeah. Is perfect for that because she gives just the right level of performance for a massive screen. She's yeah, she's under loads of pressure. She's experiencing fear, and then she's got this kind of mantra of overcoming the fear. Yeah, and then she's very brave in the face of the fear. Um, but she's she's motivated by this really strong love for her son, and all of that comes through really yeah. powerfully just yeah. from like her face and the music's going. Oh, the music! Let's talk about the music. Yeah, let's. So. Um, Hans Zimmer, who did the music for this, also did the music for Blade Runner 2049. Right. And I spotted music cues that are very similar to 2049 in Dune. Right. I'm not saying that he's reused them or anything, but that kind of epic single note, um, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it, but it's almost like a drone that right. he uses. It's very effective. I feel like something's happened with cinema music since... Um, uh, Inception, right? Where it's all right for the music to really intrude, yes, in a way that it wasn't before. Yeah, it's super loud. They, like, I mean, we were we were in the IMAX, so it's it, it it's like the sound system is amazing. I think the sound system in there is the best of any cinema I've ever been in. But because um, it's not intrusive, but it is loud. But the music, like this bit, there's times where there's sort of drums going boom, 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 yeah, behind you, yeah. And you, uh, you genuinely, like I said, you genuinely don't know if it's something happening in the film or if it's just the music. Yeah. Um, I feel like there was an unspoken rule that that was like bad manners to like get mistaken for something actually happening yeah. in, in the world of the film. But Inception gone, certainly has a very bombastic soundtrack. Yeah. So now you can just write music that's just like... And so does Tenet as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is um, Ludwig Göransson who wrote right. music for Tenet. That score is very... Bomb- it has a lot of yeah. bombast. Yeah. yeah. Trivia yeah. fact: mm-hmm. Ludwig Göransson wrote the, all of the incidental music for a sitcom called New Girl. <laughs> so he's got quite the career path. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the music is—I mean, you are in a state of heightened tension yes. all the way through. Yes. And the, the reason for that really is the music. You know, the sh- there's a long shot panning slightly or something, or someone's face or some scenery, yep. and the music is just saying to you, something big is happening all yes. the time. Yes. Um, and then in between, I mean, this film basically consists of shots held for a long time on backgrounds or faces, plus just tons of action. Like and, and wide shots. Should we talk right. about the wide shots? Go on, go on. So that early on in the film, when the Atreides family are, are about to leave their planet... Caladan, I think it's called. Right. There's a there's a a shot from above water where they see one of their massive ships mm. coming out of the water yeah. that is just amazing. Yeah, and it, the weight of the special effects. Yeah, like there's just there's there's no distinction between CGI and live action. I could not see the line on this movie. No, probably every shot had loads of CGI in it. I should think, yeah. but it all looked like it was really happening in front of you. Having said that, it looked to me. Particularly on Arrakis, where they were in the city, that a lot of that stuff was models, right, right, which right. I really liked. Right, right, right. But it, it was incredible, and yeah, the this thing lifting out of the sea, which I was looking at, thinking jaw dropping. You've 
the entire thing I'm looking at was done on a computer. There's no other yeah. way they could have done it. Yeah, but it could be because some of it could be miniatures. It could be, but it, I mean, the, it didn't move like a miniature. No, it didn't, right? like no, the way it the didn't. water moved, it was, like, it was so heavy. Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was incredible. We could also describe in how they, without too many spoilers. The depiction of interstellar travel right. is very cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, when we see it in things like, for example, Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, I think they have a similar... It's a bit cheesy. A, a similar approach to yeah, it. Yeah. A ship goes very fast and then you see it inside a wormhole. Right, yeah. And they're both pretty much the same. Right. And if listener is familiar with Dune, then they'll know about the... They have these navigators who mm. navigate these massive ships between stars... And it's instantaneous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they fold space, basically. They create an artificial wormhole. Mm-hmm. Um, and the depiction of that was amazing. Yeah, just a really massive spaceship that's sort of like a hole that you fly through. Yeah. Yeah. They, and it generally, they, so they, there's a lot of spaceships, big spaceships landing on the ground. Mm. And they're just so weighty. Even though they have like an anti-grav technology. Yeah. But the inertia of these ships... The way they move, it just looks like they're really there. It's yeah. really amazingly yeah. good. Um, yeah. So we talk about the ornithopters. Okay. Yes. Ter- I mean, it's quite an unwieldy concept. <laughs> Presumably, <laughs> they so haven't cool. invented the helicopter, or it must be something. I thought it was must be something with the sand or something. Could be the sand. You can't it have it up too much. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Or it would just damages the blades. But for some reason, yes. So these things are more like insects. They have they these, look like dragonflies. Yeah, they have these sort of insect-like wings that flap, yes. which is totally ridiculous. But it works. But they look great. Yeah, they look fantastic. And yeah. mate, I had to satisfy myself with, well, it's probably because of the sand that you can't have a helicopter or something. They kind of move. They move almost exactly like helicopters. Yes. They, uh, you know the way they move through the air and stuff. I really like the ornithopters. Um, but I had yeah. a problem with the fact that it seems totally infeasible. But I kind of have to get over that. One thing we have talked about, but let's revisit now. There are no guns yeah. in this world. This is a world that is 10,000 years. Was it 10,491? Yeah, it's the ten, year 10,000. The year 10,000. Yeah. Yeah. So 8,000 years from now. Um, and they seem to have foregone... Well, we know. I think we know about this from the, from the mythology of the Dune universe, is that there's no AI, right. there's no robotics at right. all. Right. There's no slave labour of that kind. Right. So it's almost like humanity has regressed back to this feudal yeah. empire way of doing things. Uh, there's no guns. So no everybody guns. fights hand-to-hand using swords. Which is quite convenient for storytelling. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't really, does like, it? If you're in a like massive power struggle like they are, you just have a secret AI or something. Having said that, the ships do fire projectile weapons yeah so yeah, yeah. so there's, there's all this hand-to-hand fighting there's these massive spaceships above that are full of rockets which they do fire which they fire later but they yeah. don't fire them at the people who are doing the hand-to-hand no, fighting that's that right quite a good yeah. way of killing them yeah but i guess there's some rules but i did enjoy those um very sort of medieval type battles on yeah. the ground there's a couple of shots of armies coming together that are very familiar from like costume dramas yes um that and they use shields yeah. So if we if listeners can cast their mind back, if they've seen or are aware of the David Lynch version of June from 1984, right. the shields in that are like polygons, right? Um, which is fair enough. I mean, that's the technology they had yeah. available to them at the time. The shields in this are much more subtle. Yes. 
Yeah, it's like a force field around your whole body. Yeah. And when you get hit, it, it goes kind of blue. So it's invisible, and then it goes kind of bluish when you get hit with something. Yeah. And if and it's very it's like a computer game. If if something penetrates the shield to hurt red. you, it goes red. So it's actually really useful for the storytelling. Yes. You can see when someone's been injured or not, really in a really straightforward way. So yeah. it kind of works from a story point of view. Exactly. So I really enjoyed the shields. Uh, I enjoyed the hand-to-hand combat. I think some of it's really effective. Mm. Um, but it was it is it almost exactly like a costume drama. Yes. Like everything you know, everything about it. You've got the the young boy being trained in the fighting, which is like for honor, but then it turns out to be useful in <laughs> real life. And so I can see how this is a huge influence on Star Wars, right? Because you have people with supernatural powers. You have a superpowered family, which yeah. is which is what Star Wars right. is basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, you have warring factions. You've got people doing political skullduggery in the background that nobody else knows about, but yeah. eventually they do anyway. You've got this like mysterious religion. Yep. You've got the emperor who we haven't seen yet, who seems like a very unpleasant person. Right. Everyone's terrified of the emperor. Yeah. Even though they're these are supposed to be powerful families, but it seems like the emperor is this this malign scary force who's much more powerful than the powerful family I think the big difference here is the Benny the Benny Jesuit sisterhood is not something that we've seen on film before because right. they're very scary yeah they're very powerful yeah and they seem to have a lot of influence yeah so if you compare that with the Jedi they're not really Jedi they're not they? like the nice guys no they're, they're really quite scary they seem to have uh, an agenda yeah well they seem to run the world is, yeah is what it seems like certainly they seem to tell the Emperor what to do yeah because they have some kind of foresight. Yeah, so they're, they're like trusted advisors, but actually they're running the show, yeah. Let's talk about the foresight. Okay. So Paul has dreams uh-huh. that we see. And at first they are very um, abstract. Yeah. And often even when he later he reports that they were quite clear. Yeah. We, still to us, they're quite abstract, aren't they? Yes. Right? So most of them are about a character called Chani, uh-huh. who was played by Zendaya. Uh-huh. Zendaya. Um, I thought was excellent. Yeah. She didn't have that much to do yet. No, not yet. No. Um, and when we finally meet her, my I think my one criticism of that is when we finally meet her, it's a little bit of an anticlimax. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, he recognises her. Yeah. She takes off her mask and he recognises her. And I think that's supposed to be... I mean, in a way, it's quite nice that it wasn't overdone. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. But yeah, he kind of immediately knows he can trust her. Yes, because he's seen her. Already. Although he's had these dreams about her, maybe her killing him or him killing her. Yes, although although he does quantify that and say that's not what it was. No, and it turns out that we before the end of the film we know what that actually was, which we won't talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that, yeah. Uh, the leader of the Fremen is played by Javier Bardem, who was terrific. Right. Yeah. 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 Again, he doesn't have that much to do. But again, it's a bit like Star Wars. Like, yes. you've got these like sand people. Yeah. Star Wars is like a sort of very dumbed-down rip-off of Dune. Well, a lot of people do say that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because Dune was written in the 1960s, maybe a little bit earlier in the first book. So I think it's a clear influence right, yeah, on Lucas. Is. I mean, Lucas also took stuff from um, Japanese movies right. as well, yeah. things like uh, the... Forbidden City was one of it. Is it the Forbidden City? No. Anyway. The, in Star yeah. Wars, the sand planet is very boring. So right. In June, I would say the sand planet is not boring at all. No. 
It's very interesting. It's it's this quite kinetic environment. One of the things that makes it interesting is the sandworms. Yes. And we don't see them much. I was basically hanging out for the sandworms for the whole But when film. they arrive, they are pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think... I don't remember much about the other... The old version of Dune film, but I feel like they, they're a bit disappointed. I think they were stop motion. Right. Or, or maybe a variety of techniques to, to do them. Right, right, right. And it's difficult. You know, 1984, oh, yeah. you don't have yeah. a lot of yeah, resources yeah. available. But yeah, um, so they... they like they you can see them coming in the distance and they look huge and terrifying and when they get close the whole world is shaking and falling apart and then you, the sand disappears from under your feet it liquefies doesn't it yeah, and it, yeah. It, and it, uh, it, so you can't even run away you, like there's a, there's a sort of some kind of bang when they're quite close which makes you fall over yes. and the sand starts liquefying and you're like ah and uh, and all of the, so all of this is happening you haven't even seen them yeah and then you don't get many glimpses of them in the film, but you, you see uh, enough, a couple, like just enough to like feed the desire to actually see it, and to get a sense much. of scale as well. Yeah, and the, yeah, they are just massive. Yeah, and they, so they're everything they should be from the book. Right? Yes, they, they they are just these enormous, like bigger than a whale, you know. But that scale of thing, yeah, um, that that is just this unstoppable force of nature. And they, they deliver what, what they need to deliver. There. Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. So the first time we see them, I think we've heard we've heard about them because Paul has a like a, an orient, orient, orientation video. Yeah, like yeah, he's, home. he's watching like TV about. So there's a TV documentary all about Arrakis, and the first time we see them, uh, we go and see a harvester, which is harvesting spice. Yes. Listener, don't worry too much about these what we're talking about if you don't know what Dune is all about <laughs> but spice is what the navigators use to fold space and to yeah, travel so it's a very precious yeah. chemical that's only found on this very dangerous planet that's right yeah um, and so the, the Duke says let's go and see what see what it's all about mm-hmm. and the soundtrack in that sequence when they get there <laughs> yeah. it starts very low yeah. but it repeats the same motif so that uh, you immediately get on edge because right, right. you know something's coming, um, and that's that's the first time we see a sandworm. Right. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. these these harvesters are supported by uh, these aerial vehicles that can lift them off the ground and take them to safety, and the aerial vehicle fails mm-hmm. to do so. So they have to get all the people off the harvester and save them, which they do. No spoilers. No spoilers. Um, spoiler. Sorry, I just just gave a spoiler. <laughs> But that I thought that whole sequence was just really well orchestrated. Oh, it's great! I was surprised. I thought, like normal, the normal setup with with a big monster like a sandworm mm. is um, something nearly goes wrong, so you get the idea of the danger, and yeah. then it's okay. But this, it went fairly badly wrong. I mean, I guess they all got out. Um, yeah, I was expecting it to not quite go wrong, but nearly go wrong, mm. and then later it'll really go wrong, kind of thing. But yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I think I'm I'm really enthusiastic about this film. I'm really excited to watch the next one. Yeah, it felt like half the film in a way. Yes, it me. did. It um, it had a kind of a beginning and a middle and end, but there's there's just so much waiting to happen. Yeah, that um, it's not complete as it is. Well, we were talking. I won't talk anything about what we were talking about. We were talking about how much more there is to tell. Mm-hmm. There is some some significant events to come mm, mm, mm. yeah um, but yeah so amazing performance 
by uh, the person who plays Jessica, what do you say? Oh, Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah. Yeah, she was excellent. So, yeah, just so much of the kind of... Um, the weight of... Well, I guess a lot is on, on Paul, the person who plays Paul. Timothée Chalamet. Yeah. Timothée Chalamet, <laughs> as Mark Kermode calls him. <laughs> he, he communicates a lot of the kind of um, uh, hope and um, frustration and stuff, but the real weight, emotional weight is on her. Yeah. She just does a great job of that. Yeah. And she's really yeah. good because she's a bit ambiguous as a character. Because she, that's talked about later on in the movie. She has two allegiances. Mm, mm. Yeah, she has an allegiance to her not husband, mm-hmm. and she has an allegiance to the sisterhood. Yeah, and she she has a strong allegiance to her husband, and it seems like an even stronger allegiance to her son. Yes, but that it is more complicated than that. Um, like, she really, really, really loves her son, but it doesn't mean that she wants her son to just do whatever he feels like doing. No, exactly. She's protective of him in every way. So she wants to protect him from himself, mm. from his impulses. But she also wants him to do what, what her sect want him to do, I think. Yes. And we may find that out later. This is all speculation from me. Very much so. So yeah. that doesn't count as spoilers. No, it doesn't, no. Just uh, in case you were wondering, listener. So, I think, to, are we summing up? I think so. Anything else to talk about? Well, I just wanted to say a little bit more about how the planet itself, which yes. could be really boring, because it's just sand... Sand and rock. There's a city... And there's sand with bits of rock that you can, like... If you're quick enough, you can get to the rock before the sandworm gets to you. Yeah. But the sand itself is, like, rich in structure. And then and the rock is very beautiful. Yeah. And so when they're out on the sand... There's it's a not lot to like, look at, isn't there? Yeah, it's not boring to look at. Yeah. Which I think Star Wars can definitely be accused of. Yes. And I also think, to some extent, the bits of Blade Runner that are in a kind of desert environment are a bit boring looking as well. Yes. And this was more interesting. I mean, Blade Runner has a different palette to this. Yeah. It's very grey. And everything... I mean, in, in, in we're talking Blade Runner 2049. Yes, we are. In, in that, in the desert type stuff, it's kind of just like a mist, you know? You can't really see anything. Yeah. But, yeah. This one is much clearer. Um, and it's just, yeah, like, it's just a lot of structure and, it, yeah, it, there's always something to be looking at. So long as... So long as sitting there looking at a really beautiful shot with this music going is something that you enjoy, you're going to enjoy every moment of this film. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, no, the other part was that I wanted to say was there's loads of action, loads more than I expected. Yeah, lots. There's tons yeah. of fighting, there's tons of running away, there's tons of peril, sandworm peril and all the different types. So you're not... In between the stopping and taking in the, the tension... Of which there is which there's a lots. great deal. Yes. In between that, it's just bang, 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 all the way through. Yeah, it doesn't stop, does it? Yeah. It drives the story forward. The other, the other person I liked was the actress who played... Who's been gender-swapped. That's a man in the book. All right. She plays the um, scientist. Oh, I did wonder. Yeah. That type of character would definitely have been a man in, in like, yeah. the old But I thought that part world. worked well as she, a woman. She was excellent. Because she had a kind of spirituality about her. Yeah. And a, and a connection to the planet that maybe a man wouldn't have conveyed. Yeah. She's very mysterious. And... We found out why later on. Very ambiguous. Yeah. Of, of, uh, whose side she's on and what it's all about who she is as a person yeah. or what she is kind of thing yeah who she represents they yeah. do ask her about that yeah but she is just very mysterious and yeah that works really well so she's like the, the, the person who's there as an independent to investigate and you know find out how to mine more spice and, and she's and kind of a representative of the emperor yes 
That's right. Yeah. But yeah. So she know. doesn't represent any any faction apart from the Empire. Yeah. So she's ambiguous already because the Emperor is actually a bit ambiguous, and then she gets even more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good performance. I mean, all the performances in this yeah. are, are really strong. And a lot of stuff is like it's quite a complicated story. A lot of stuff is is really cleared up by the visuals. You know, yes. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of visual storytelling. Yeah. Like so, they meet they meet a delegation from the Emperor, mm-hmm. and it's just quite easy to see who's who's on which side. Even in that, you know, it's just well done that the way they dress and the way they're yeah. framed. Yeah. You can tell who's who. And that's really important in a thing like that. You can often go away just a bit confused about what was happening. Yeah, I was never confused. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have seen the David Lynch. I have, I have read the book. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that much about it, mm-hmm. other than I really enjoyed reading it, and I found it to be a swashbuckling, right. exciting, action-driven sci-fi story. Um, not at all dry in the way that it's right. written. You know, it's really right. propulsive storytelling. Even though it's like a, it's a, what do you call it? A doorstop of a book. Yeah. <laughs> it's thick. I, I read it ages ago. I remembered almost nothing about it. Um, and I think I was slightly bored by the book. Right. I was not bored by the film at all. And it helped me understand what was going on. And I think I was confused by the book as well. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. It's nice to... Uh, what I do remember from the book is all the names. So hearing all those names really woke... They, it brings you back to you. Yeah. yeah. Because some of the names are quite conventional human names. And mm. some of them are not. mm, mm. mm. Which I suppose is the way that humans evolve. Mm. So, like Duncan Idaho, to me, is a pretty straightforward yeah. person's name. Yeah. But then maybe something like, um, Ger- actually, I suppose Gurney Halleck is a fairly straightforward right. name as well. So maybe I'm talking rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of convincing as a like humanity uh, just doesn't doesn't sort of go progress it's not like Star Trek you know like we all just get better and better people over time it's more like well that was Gene Roddenberry's vision wasn't it right, yeah yeah is that there'd be no money there'd be no war people would just go out and scientifically explore the galaxy whilst having getting into a fist fight and kissing a few women <laughs> as Captain Kirk but yeah this is more like, like so humanity is kind of it's slotted into like a feudal system yeah it kind of works when I guess maybe because transport between worlds is fairly, fairly expensive, so it's more separated. So it's more like the times where tra- you know tra- traveling across the UK would be quite an expensive endeavor. So yes, you're back to a time where you need like a strong man in your local a- local area. They talk about that, don't they? How much did it cost to transport yeah, they... uh, the emperor's delegation from there to here, and somebody calculates it? Yeah, and so and the, and the cost of that is the spice you need. That's right. So it all comes back to this one planet where you can get it from, which is a nightmare, but someone's got it. And presumably it's not an infinite source. No, well, that's not really addressed, is it? It's not, is it? No, nobody talks about that. I haven't read the later books. Maybe it's addressed in later books. Yeah, I haven't either. Anyway, yeah, so they can levitate, but they can't artificially manufacture spice. Yes, so it can only be found on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. So... I think I think Dune presents a bleak future for humanity in the universe. <laughs> They're still fighting. We're still fighting amongst ourselves, yeah, but with knives over scant resources. Yeah. There's no guns, yeah. <laughs> but there are massive spaceships and interstellar travel. Yeah, yeah. So it's all good. 
But um, yeah, so I, I would say if I had to pick a film to watch at the IMAX, it would have been this one. Like, yeah. It's perfect. To it's watch made for it, isn't it? And yeah, it, it was plastered all over before it started saying it was all shot in IMAX and made to be shown in IMAX. Uh, and it, it worked really well. Um, but generally, I'd say it's a really entertaining film. Yeah. With the with the health warnings we've already given that you're going to spend a lot of time just yeah. looking it's two, at things. It's two hours and 35 minutes long. Right. Um, and it's like, it's dramatic. If you like dramatic stuff with dramatic music over it, you're going to like it. Yeah. If you don't like those kinds of things, then, may- then maybe you won't. You probably won't, yeah. But I'd say that you should still give it a go anyway, listener. Would you? Yeah, because I think that the visuals and the performances and the soundtrack mm-hmm. are it's just worth seeing from, from that point of view, really. Yeah, I would say, so, like, the story is great, really well told, but even if it was only purely on technical grounds, yeah. it's just technically really high quality in every aspect. Yeah, it's solid, it's, it's beyond solid. It's yeah. really high quality. It's like yeah. every department on that film is operating at peak performance. So we enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thank you. See you next time. Yes. Bye bye.